The Daily Tap is live for Thursday. We're going to talk about Chris Middleton's injury, what that means for the Bucs, how do they survive it in the short term and in the long term. We will also talk about the game itself, what happened, observations from it, probably reasons why you shouldn't panic if you're freaking out about this one. Uh, we'll talk about the Brewers' big week. They sweep the Pirates. We'll talk about things we like, things we didn't like, lessons in overreaction. And then lastly, we'll talk about places you would not want to hand bar tabs out to. And that will be the show today. So looking forward to that. And if you are not following us on social media, I don't know what you're doing. Tabbing the Keg on Twitter. Tabbing the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, also, too, make sure you're subscribed. I'm sure you are. But if you're not, make sure you're subscribed on Apple, as well as Spotify. Um, if or Spotify, however you get your podcasts, any real way you get your podcasts, we are on there. Um, if you are already subscribed, make sure you're leaving a review. I'm seeing those reviews. They're stagnant, man. You leave those reviews. I believe there are more of you out there. Please leave your review. I'd really appreciate it. Um, we're trying to get more of those and get more more word out. I don't know. Maybe I have a QR code at the Brat House this weekend. All right. So let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously, reacting pretty much live. Um, the game's been over for about an hour, but you know, I have to do the review. Got to get it all on the social. Want to do one more check of Twitter. You get it. But there are some nights where you have a bad vibe going into a game. I don't know if you guys feel this way. I don't know if you're a superstitious sports fan, but there's a moment where you're like, fuck, this is absolutely fucked and things are not going to go our way. I was making dinner tonight. My wife said yoga. Um, I'm getting dinner ready. We're having a nice pizza chicken. It's a good little low carb recipe. Um, I'm I can share it out if you need it. Um, and I'm grabbing the pasta sauce because we don't have any pa uh, tomato paste. We're supposed to use tomato paste in the recipe, but I had to use pasta sauce instead. So I was like, all right, whatever. I go and grab it. I grab it by the handle, like the top of the jar. All right. And when I go to grab it by the jar, it like slips out of my hand. It happened really quick, and all of a sudden it broke glass bottle uh, broke all over my floor um, I had to clean it up had to obviously sweep up the glass the whole kit and caboodle man and then that was the moment where I knew things were off like I immediately was like all right it's gonna be a bad gambling night it's gonna could be a bad bucks night like then the bulls start on a 9-0 run the first half happens and I'm like yeah it was the pasta sauce do you need to make sure the vibes are correct and I don't know if that's just a sports fan thing I, I've had this in other situations, right? Like I've had moments where I've gotten to fights before Packer games, like a primetime game, and I got into a fight with my wife, or I got into a fight with my roommates at the time, and I'm like, all right, well, we're fucked. Like this is this game's not gonna go well because the the energy is all off. And you can say, Charlie, this has nothing to do with it. And I and my therapist at the time, I don't I'm not going to therapy anymore, but go to therapy, kids. I, we'd have these conversations about things that weren't connected and she'd be like Charlie none of this is connected and while I can try to believe that in my non-sports brain my sports brain will tell me that the pasta sauce was the reason the pack the bucks excuse me lost tonight like that's everything that changed the whole dynamic of the day and with the Bucks losing, there's going to be a lot of Bulls fans that are pumping out their chest. The Bulls will get a lot of run because they are a very public team and ABC slash ESPN has to sell this game. They're, the game's on Friday night. It's on linear TV. That's a big deal. The Bulls are a big deal. It's going to be a big ratings draw. So, of course, 
there's going to be a lot of hype around the, the game on Friday. But to me, the real story is Chris Middleton and his sprained MCL and how do the Bucks really make it out alive without Chris Middleton. A little injury history on sprained MCLs. It's really going to matter on what type of grade this sprained MCL is. If it is a severe MCL sprain, he's out for the season. He's completely done. We will, you know, not know exactly. We'll have no Chris Middleton for the rest of the playoffs. If it is a grade two sprain, you could maybe get Chris Middleton back for the Eastern Conference Finals. Worst case, you'd get him back for the finals. If it is a grade one sprain, likely you have Chris Middleton back for some point in the second round of the Eastern Conference Finals. The, or I'm sorry, the Eastern Conference Semifinals. The Bucks got incredibly lucky with injuries last year. Nobody got hurt besides the Giannis injury, but that was really only two day, two games, and then Giannis was able to come back because basically Giannis is a superhuman. I don't think there were a lot of players in the NBA that would have been able to come back after two games like Giannis Antetokounmpo did. I'm not expecting Chris Middleton to do that if, say, he has a grade two MCL sprain, all right? And the Bucs are going to need to figure out how to play without Chris Middleton. And they really do not have that much time to figure this out. They have one day of rest between the series. They have the Thursday, and then they have to play on Friday. They have one day off on Saturday, and then they have to play again on Sunday. And so the Bucs are going to have to figure out in the very short term what this team looks like without Chris Middleton. And they have not done it much. They have not really had a lot of moments without Chris Middleton. The first thought is you go with Pat Connaughton and you say, all right, Pat Connaughton is the guy that you trust. Pat Connaughton has been really off all playoffs so far. He's not really been good. And I do kind of wonder if he will come to life at some point. You could also go with Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen was a starter earlier this season. They went with West Matthews for more defense, and West Matthews was the reason why the Bucs didn't get blown out tonight. He was incredible in the first half and really played well all throughout the game. But, yes, it would be West Matthews, Grayson Allen, Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Brooke Lopez, and that would be your lineup instead. I think, really, those are your only two options. I think it really comes down to what do you like coming off the bench? Do you want Pat Connaughton off the bench? Because he does sort of bring that energy in a sense similar to what Bobby Portis brings. Or do you want Grayson Allen off your bench as sort of, again, a little more of a defensive fire, not really a defensive fire starter, but a guy who's kind of just flying around the court. I, I wish that Grayson Allen, and you're like, oh, yeah, compared to white guys, but I wish Grayson Allen played a little bit more like Alex Caruso. We talked about the Caruso-Allen stuff like uh after recapping game one. But seriously, like I just wish that Allen flew around the court like Alex Caruso does. Alex Caruso was so impressive in this game. Like He deserves a ton of credit. DeMar DeRozan deserves a ton of credit. But you need that type of stuff out of Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton because right now they're not getting anything from those guys. Those guys are providing absolutely nothing. I wonder if there will be some Jordan Nora moments. Now, I think you can hunt Jordan Nora if you're a defending team. Like I think DeMar DeRozan will light up like a kid who just saw tits for the first time if Jordan Nora is in the game. Like DeMar DeRozan will absolutely waste him defensively. But if you're able to hide Jordan Nora, you're able to bring Jordan Nora into spurts, I think that would be great. Hopefully George Hill's abdominal strain's feeling better. George Hill can't stay healthy for the life of him. So if they can get George Hill back, that's still an addition, not really a subtraction. I know we were hard on Javon Carter being the guy instead of George Hill, but that's 
not looking great for, for the first two games. So Bucks are going to have to reconfigure their rotations. I do think getting Bobby Portis back will help. I do think they can run a lot of lineups with Giannis and Bobby, which I think would have won them this game if Bobby Portis was playing. I think if Bobby Portis is in that game, I think the Bucks are able to win because they can use Bobby as sort of a four or five and have Giannis even at the five and Bobby more at the four and kind of use those guys interchangeably. As much as Brooke Lopez can score against the Bulls because Vucevic is a sieve and that he gets a lot of at the basket, defensively, there are way too many open looks for three. They have way, way too many opportunities. Vucevic is a bad matchup for for Brooke Lopez. It just does not work. Uh, Brooke is the wrong guy to guard Vuce. It needs to be Bobby Portis. I think Bobby's up for the task, and I would expect more Bobby Portis minutes. As Boonholzer said, he's fine. I would imagine the reason why he didn't play in this one is because eye abrasions can be weird. You can lose sight. I understand that why they wouldn't play Bobby Portis in this game. I'm sure he'll get protective eyewear, and he'll be out there uh, for Friday's game. I have no qualms about that. So I do think they'll at least be able to have Bobby Portis, which is the positive side of it. But not having Chris Middleton is a significant loss for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it makes this game, makes this series more than just, hey, the Bucks will win in five. Uh, the Bucks, this is a blip on the radar. The Bucks are going to be all right. I understand the pumping of chest. I get it from the other side of the coin. The more optimism, the more like you guys are freaking out for absolutely no reason because the Bucks lost by four and missed 11 free throws. The Bucks were terrible when it came to turnovers. And if the Bucks don't do one of those things, like if they either make their free throws or they turn the ball over less, the Milwaukee Bucks are coming out of here with a win and we're talking about the heart of the champion. They did clean up their turnovers in the second half. Again, if you want to be positive, the Bucks finished with 15 turnovers. I think they had close to nine or 10 in the first half. So they really did sort of tighten things up in the second half. And that should be appreciated. That should be understood. The Bucks can't just kind of flip this switch every time. They And I think they learned that tonight. I think the Bucks have done this in the regular season a lot where they have flipped the switch at certain points and been able to come back and win the basketball game. It's the playoffs. It's different right now. All right. And so the Bucks have to be on from the start and not just when they want to be. And I think you're going to get a lot more focus from this Milwaukee team on Friday night against Chicago. You're going to have a loud crowd. You're going to have a rowdy crowd. That crowd is going to want blood. They are going to put all their support behind the Bulls. There will be people who think that the Bulls can win this game. I'm telling you right now, the Bucks are winning that basketball game. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in basketball. Giannis does not let them lose that game. And this is where you're going to need more from Giannis. Giannis played 40 minutes in this game. His first 40 minutes since game six. I think you might need 42, 43 out of Giannis, if you do. Um, best case scenario, the Bucks blow out the Bulls, and you do not need that out of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and that would be great. That would be ideal for the Milwaukee Bucks to not have to do it without Giannis Antetokounmpo. One thing to keep in mind, the Milwaukee Bucks did not play with Chris Middleton in game their third game against the Bulls in the regular season. They won that game by 20-plus points. I would study that tape. I would see what the Bucs did from a rotation perspective. I would try to incorporate that as much as possible. I would bring Serge Ibaka into the mix. I realize Serge played one minute in this game. I would definitely give Serge Ibaka more of a look. I think more size and outpower this Bulls team can win you basketball games. I know 
that the Bucks small ball lineup was the answer here, but I do think you can kind of counteract with some bigger lineups and overwhelm Chicago inside because Chicago does not have the size, and the more they have to put on Tristan Thompson, the more it's not going to work out for him. I realize Tristan had some moments, but Tristan should have easily got called for a flagrant foul against Bobby Portis, and nothing was called. If the Bucks are out Chris Middleton for the entire playoffs, I, I don't know the ceiling of this team. I think it's too early to say that, right? We're two games in. We have no idea what, what's going to shake out. Right now, Boston has a 2-0 lead. Boston could easily you know, give two back to Brooklyn, and then we're going back for game five and game six, and who knows? Everything could be on the table. Uh, you know, Philadelphia right now looks great. Miami looks great. The fact that the Bucks are the only team with a loss is really tough. I'm not going to lie. Like, that is... That's unexpected. That was not how this was planned. But the Chicago Bulls, you know, they they came out there with with a game plan. And Billy Donovan really co- has really coached two good games and has really sort of figured out some things. And I I don't I think Billy Donovan gets kind of discredited maybe in the league. Like I think he's a little bit underrated. But I do think Billy Donovan deserves a lot of credit for what he's done these two games compared to the regular season. But I, I don't, I'm not ready back to Middleton. I'm not ready to be like, all right, how does this impact for a long term? Because we just don't know. We don't know who they're facing. We don't know what that opponent will be. The Bucks have to focus on game number three. I think this was a wake-up call for the Bucks, but I think it was a wake-up call for the fans. I was already talking about the Boston series. I was already talking about the NBA Finals, I think, a couple weeks ago. We are talking about, well, I'd rather play the Warriors, or I'm, I'm scared of the Warriors versus the Suns. I think this is a wake-up call to all of us that we need to take each game at a time, that we're not just going to waltz through the playoffs. The playoffs are hard. If you want a little perspective, because I, I did kind of do a deep dive to see if there was any sort of Basically, historical laziness, I guess you could call it, of teams who won the title and then what happened the following year in the first round. The results were not great for the Bucks. let me just say that. Uh, the Bucks are kind of in a class of their own. Now, I would argue that the teams who won in the East, like Miami and Cleveland, got away with murder in terms of their opponents because all of them sucked. I do want to call that out. I do think that is fair to call out, right? That... Some of these teams were not very good. And the Eastern Conference is probably better than it's been in a long, long time with the Bucks playing. But I do want to mention this one. And I think it's worth noting. The Golden State Warriors had a 31-point lead against the Los Angeles Clippers in 2019. They were up 31 points in Game 2. I think they were the one seed at the time. The Clippers came all the way back to win that game. And the Warriors lost at home 135 to 131. Now that is way worse than what happened to the Bucks tonight. I think if that happened to Bucks Twitter, it would melt. I don't know if Bucks Twitter would even exist. And then they would lose another game to the Clippers. So they went six games with the Clippers. They ended up winning the series, took care of business. Everything happened. All right. I hope that's not the case for the Bucks. I do not want that to be the case for the Bucks. But what I'm saying is it does happen. It doesn't happen often, but you do see teams who repeat sometimes struggle out of the gates. That Warrior team went to the finals. Philadelphia 76ers tonight, who won an Embiid 3, 
Call of Duty Revenge 3 was a little bit intense, by the way. I saw that from a few people, even from my bros from Divine Sports Gospel. I love their great follow. Make sure you're following along, even if you're not a Padres fan. They do a lot of good work from the content game. They had a thing where they're like, oh, it's his Revenge 3 from the Kawhi game. I mean, that was Game 7, man. That's not really a revenge. Like, this is Game game 3 of a fucking series you're going to win. I don't think Philly will sweep. I think Toronto will get one, and you'll have to go back to Philly. But I, I don't necessarily see that as a quote-unquote revenge 3. It's a big moment for Embiid, for sure. It, it, it It's the first, like, big playoff moment for Joel Embiid. Um, so I do think that that matters, but I don't think it's as significant as like a revenge three for a game seven where that team ended up going on to win the finals. So, but, but what I was going to say about that was that Philly had 24 turnovers tonight. Philly was not good with the ball. So they were very lucky to win that game. They got out of it live because they had the best player on the court. Milwaukee nearly won that game tonight with the best player on the court. And unfortunately, DeMar DeRozan was a little bit better than him, even though he struggled down the stretch. Don't forget that, right? DeMar DeRozan was pretty damn bad down the stretch. Bucks did everything they could. They just had a couple key moments in that fourth quarter where they had opportunities to turn the tide, and they just didn't do it. They were up down eight. They get it, They get a successful challenge. Then they do not score off of that. So it stays at eight. Bucks win a jump ball. Or I'm sorry, yes. They they yes, they win a jump ball. It was a tie-up. They win a jump ball. They get the ball back. They immediately turn the ball over. Again, that just stuff can't happen. That's not how you win you come back to win basketball games. But the Bucs have the best player on the court. His name is Giannis Antetokounmpo. I I'm happy that Bulls fans get a little bit of life in them. I know the UC will be rocking on on Friday. But I feel really good about the Bucks. Not wavering at all. Not pushing the panic button. They're going to be fine. And they need to figure it out with injuries. Injuries happen, unfortunately. It sucks. I hate it. I wish injuries would never be a thing. But they are. So now the Bucks have to figure out how they do this without Chris Middleton. And if it's for the long term, they really got to figure it out. And they really need some guys to step up. And some guys can make a lot of money. For themselves in the near future, not next year, because no, neither Allen or Conson are free agents. But they can make themselves a notable name in the state and a notable name in the NBA with what they're doing in the next week, two weeks from now. But they get they're gonna have to be better. And hopefully on Friday we're talking about the Bucks figuring it all out and getting up at the start of the bell. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers did have a good day. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers had a day that was worth celebrating. I know it's the regular season. I know it's very early. But they were able to sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates with a 4-2 victory. Uh, Brandon Woodruff was absolutely phenomenal in this one. Six innings, one hit allowed, two walks, and nine strikeouts. Brandon Woodruff definitely got off the mat after a really rough start in Chicago. Uh, you love to see that from Big Woo. And it kind of shows you why overreactions in baseball are a little bit dumb. I think everybody was really excited for this Brewer season to start. I think everybody thought this Brewer team was going to be great. And they still could be, right? They've, they're off. They're now off to a good start with 8-5. and five, And they've won now six of their last eight games. Like they are... They are playing, or no, seven of the last nine, excuse me, excuse me. They're playing very, very good baseball all of a sudden. 
And I think when a team has hype, and when you see they're number four in the power rankings per MLB.com, and you're like, oh my God, like we have a top five baseball team, you kind of expect to be the 27 Yankees. And it's unrealistic to to have that. Like that just does not occur. You, you don't end up being the 27 Yankees. Instead, you're going to have trials and tribulations. Like, I know the Brewers are going to get swept at some point this season. It's going to suck. I'm going to hate it. Not going to have fun. But that's baseball, right? You have those ups and downs. It's a fucking roller coaster. It is an absolute wild ride. But it's nice for the Brewers to take advantage of teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates. We talk about all the time about every game is important. And taking advantage against a team like the Pirates... Or a team like the Reds, who are very who are struggling mightily, just I think they got swept out of the West Coast. I don't think they won once on the West Coast when they played the Dodgers or the Padres. Like you take advantage, you take advantage of those those teams, and you make sure that you keep bolstering your record, and you don't get swept by those teams, and you you win those games either you win two out of three or three out of four or you sweep. Right, you don't fall apart against the teams you're not supposed to. So I think that's really where it's important. And it shows you that, yeah, you, you should just take it easy if they go through rough patches. And I think this will quell a lot of the fan concern. I think a lot of the fans were worried that maybe this Brewer team, it was the same shit. I mean, I said it to my dad on Easter because they had no run runs on Friday or Saturday. Both pitched well enough in those games to win. Or not, not Friday. Well, Friday they did not pitch well enough to win. But Saturday, they did pitch well well enough to win, and they just didn't have the offense. And we saw that a lot last season. And it was like, well, are we just basically going to do the same thing as last year? And then the Brewers' last few games, they've put together, you know, four to five runs each game. Like, they're, they're, they're having some productive games in terms of getting the ball out of the ballpark. Right, Telez, two home runs last two days. Keston Hero, who's the thing I like from this one, with a three-run homer, it was one nothing. Keston Hero gets two guys on, just a beautiful swing out to right field. Absolutely pure, 109 miles an hour off his bat. If you can get Keston Hero going, this Brewers team is going to be really hard to deal with. And we said that about Christian Yelich two days ago, and then Christian Yelich sucked the last two games. I'm not ready to be like, oh my God, we have to... We have to figure this out with Yelich, um, but it would be nice if Hura and Yelich can come through, and we've seen glimmers of that. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from the series, right, is that we've seen the glimmers of Yelich and Hura. Now the question is, can they put it together consistently? Can we see multiple games of Christian Yelich two hits, Keston Hura two hits? Is that on the table, or is it just going to be these moments of, hey, maybe they'll come back, maybe they will not? As for things that you might worry about, things that you don't like from this one, Devin Williams did not pitch well again. Uh, Devin Williams got runners on. I would have personally went with Trevor Gott there if I were the Brewers, but that is a decision made by Craig Council, the manager. And Craig does know more than me. I, I sometimes like to think I know more than Craig Council, but Craig knows more than me. And so Craig Council going with Devin Williams did not turn out well for him. Devin Williams gave up two runs. Uh, they were charged to Brett Suter, which sucks. I hate how baseball does that. I get it. They're inherited runners. But really, some of Devin Williams' ERA should be charged to allowing those runs. That's why I think a lot of people argue that ERA is kind of a fugazi stat at times. 
it's disappointing uh, to see Devin Williams continue to struggle, but I think I, I can't remember if we talked about this podcast, so I apologize if I'm repeating. I know I've talked about it on Twitter. Is Craig Council definitely rides his guys out. Like Josh Hader, I remember how bad Josh Hader was after the All-Star break. I think it was 2018, where he just could not save a game to save to save his soul. And basically, Craig Council kept throwing him out there, kept throwing him out there until he figured it out. He never said uncle. He never said, Craig, I can't do this. He kept going out there, and at some point he figured it out. Devin Williams is too good not to figure it out. Yes, will there be a moment where maybe Craig Council is like, all right, we need to get you in low leverage spots and kind of get you more comfortable? Sure, there could be that opportunity. Might there be a situation where they look at Devin Williams and say, are you sure you're feeling okay? Do you need to take some time off and sort of just get your mind right and kind of reset for the season? Maybe. But I, I think Devin Williams is probably putting a little too much pressure on himself, especially at home. I don't think it's a coincidence that Devin Williams struggled at home, you know, twice and had have had some issues over the last two two series. There is a little more pressure because of the hand incident, and I do think that Devin Williams will right the ship. I'm not worried about it. But I imagine Craig Council is gonna keep riding him at least for two more for at least another week. I think you give Williams one or two more opportunities, maybe three, before he's like, all right, we're going to completely throw this out. We're completely going to change change what we're doing. Remember, Williams was really good on, I think it was Tuesday night, he had a clean eighth inning. He pitched, I think, one, two, three, had no problem. So it's not like every time out, Devin Williams is a complete disaster. Moving on to, oh, well, not before we move on, real quick, preview for Brewers Phillies on the weekend. I always feel like we have weird weird series against the Phillies in Philadelphia. Uh, the Brewers had there this weekend. Uh, so maybe a precursor to Bucks Sixers. Uh, but the Brewers are in Philadelphia. Uh, they will have Freddie Peralta on the mound against Ranger Suarez. Kind of an interesting matchup because two twofold here. One, we need Freddie Peralta to come through in, in a first inning. We need Freddie Peralta to just settle in. He's had a week off because of the schedule. I really need Freddie Peralta to be good in that game. I'm doing a podcast Saturday as a Bucks reaction. If Freddie struggles in that game, we might have to have a conversation about Freddie, especially with Aaron Ashby. Like Aaron Ashby, I thought, pitched well on Sunday. He made one bad mistake to Albert Pujols. Other than that, I thought Aaron Ashby was pretty good. He did walk a few more guys than he liked, but I don't know. I think you at least have to take a long look at potentially an Ashby for Peralta switch if Freddie continues to struggle. Ranger Suarez was really good last season. He has really struggled to start the year. He's kind of supposed to be the man for them as kind of the new young pitching pitching guy on the Phillies. Hasn't translated, but he is a lefty. Brewers have continued to struggle against lefties. Uh, so maybe this is the time they write the ship, uh, but they have not been good so far this season. On Saturday, which is a 305 game, love me a 305 game. A huge fan of those. You have Adrian Hauser, who's been great to start the year against Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler has been absolute dog shit to start the year. He was terrible against the uh, Miami Marlins, but Zach Wheeler has shoved against the Brewers in the past. So it's not one of those where I'm like, well, yeah, he was terrible against the Fish. He's been very, very good against Milwaukee for his career. I think he had a complete game shutout. I don't think that was last year. That might have been 2019. Yeah, Brewers are batting 165 against Wheeler 
as a as a team. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon is one of the only guys with a home run. Christian Yelich actually does hit him well, seven for twenty one. But yeah, Zach Wheeler has shoved against the Brewers in the past. And then on Sunday, which will be a twelve, I think thirty five. Oh no, it's ESPN. We're on prime time. That's right. Sunday Night Baseball for the Brewers. I actually might delay our podcast tape time. Uh, you have Eric Lauer, who we've talked about. It's been really good going up against Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola is also struggling to start the year. Nola has been bad at home uh, the last year, year plus. Uh, so we'll see if that can happen. But yeah, that'll, that'll be a tough little stretch for the Brewers because they do that and then they go home for one game at 5 o'clock against the San Francisco Giants. But it's Carlos Rendon versus Corbin Burns, which... That's if you get out to ballpark for that. I mean, that is a must, must watch. All right, let's wrap up today's show with talking about places you don't want to give your bar tabs out. So the Milwaukee Brewers announced that they are going to be picking up the bar tab at their favorite watering holes here in Milwaukee. Uh, Corbin Burns did that at Left Lucky Town. A couple weeks ago, and the trend is continuing. Uh, Christian Yelich will be buying the bar somewhere on Friday after after work. Um, Andrew McCutcheon, I guess, is going to do it. And I think Lorenzo Cain also is going to contribute it. I don't know if it's a once a month thing. I don't know if it's every other weekend. But it's a really cool thing for the Brewers. I'd imagine it is when the Brewers are not in town. So it's kind of like Brewers watch parties, kind of different little things. I like the marketing angle of this. I think it's an interesting angle. I'd be curious to know how the tabs are. Like, if it's at $1,000, is it $10,000? Where it's probably not $10,000. Let's, let's not be, that's a lot of beer. Uh, but it's definitely probably 1000 Uh It's not like Ricky Weeks going on top of the bar at then Buckheads and buying the bar, which I believe is $10,000. Uh, but that's a story for another time. Talking about bars that where you wouldn't want to give your tab out. Like if I think about Yelich, Yelich to me seems like a Lucid guy. Like Yelich seems like a guy you would see at Lucid Lounge. Now Lucid does not open at five o'clock on Friday, so he's probably not buying the bar at Lucid. I will probably get confirmation if Yelich is a Lucid guy or not for the Tapping the Keg podcast. But what bars would you not want to give a bar tab out to? First thought. I would say the first one that comes to mind is Harp. Harp is the first one. I think that would just be a bad idea. I think you could do some serious damage at Harp. You also have to think about bars where the the drinks are kind of expensive. Like Harp, I mean, it's not that expensive, but Harp would be a place where I think you'd see a lot of damage done, especially if it's a nice day. Friday, it's not supposed to be nice. Thursday, today, and Saturday are supposed to be the good ones for the city of Milwaukee, finally going to get spring here as we get closer to May, which is just perfect Wisconsin in a nutshell, honestly. Uh, but that harp would be one place I would not want to give it out to. Brothers would be another one. Brothers is huge. So you could argue that because Brothers is huge, that the tab would go really quick. That if it's like $1,000 or it's $5,000, that it would actually go pretty quick because there's so many people that could fill up that bar. Um, I would have put Loaded Slate there. Obviously, they're going through a lot. They're not They're not right now currently open. Um, thoughts to them. But they would definitely have made the list if they were open. Joe Katz is a no-brainer. Of course, Joe Katz would be on the list. You have to think about where people want to drink, you, even if it's not on necessarily like drinking time. Like Joe Katz is obviously a 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock bar. 
but you do not want to deal with those people in an open bar tab. I think an open bar tab at Nomad would be dangerous because you know how many prefixes people will be buying? Like, I'm sure there are stipulations. I'm sure people are like, you can't buy shots, you can't do this, you can't do that. But I still don't think Nomad's a place you want people to be drinking your booze. I'm trying to think other places. I think that's kind of the list. Like, I was going to put Dukes on the list. But then I was like, you know what? Dukes is like dollar beers. So like you could really, if you had a tab at Dukes, and you're like, all right, $1,000. How long do you think you could go with $1,000 at Dukes? Man, I bet, I'm willing to bet you could go the longest at Dukes. Like I think Dukes would be the longest, you know, in terms of time is where you would see it. I think the fastest would be any nightclub, right? Because people would just start buying bottles and then there goes your bar tab. I also think a strip club would be another place where it would go pretty quick because those beers are a little more expensive. Uh, not that I would know, right? <laughs> but yes, it's not a it's not a cheap place to be drinking, uh, as you could imagine. You're also probably not really you're not really there to drink. Uh, but that again, another story for another time. Try other places where it would go quick or not go and not take a while. They're not a ton of like dingy bars anymore. A lot of them are kind of of old. Like they, they they don't exist. Like if I if it was you know ten what five or six years ago and North Avenue was still a thing, like yes, Eastsider would probably take forever for a bar tab to go. It would take forever at RCs. It would probably take a while at Cans. Okay, like BBC maybe too. Even though BBC is a little bit different, it was a little more established than the others. But yeah, it it would definitely take a while at all of those places. Now, if it's a brewery, a brewery would go quick because you can you can fucking spend a hundred bucks at a brewery without even blinking. Like if you buy a few rounds, you know those beers are ranging from anywhere from like seven to ten dollars. It'll go quick. Like. I'm doing something at Central Waters in a couple couple months where I'll have a tab open. Like that to me is going to necessarily, that'll be an easy like 100 bucks or what. I won't even be, you know, 100, fuck. It'll be, it'll be like 200, $300. And, and it goes quick because those beers cost seven or $8. Now, granted, they're not your Miller Lights. They're not your Coors Lights. So of course they're going to cost a little bit more. So I'll be curious to see which bar Yelich chooses. Um, and I think it will say also a lot about the women that Yelich is seeing um, because that, I don't you know, if that's a place he frequents, then you have to think about it. Taylor's, I think, should be on the table. Taylor's another place where that those drinks would go quick. Another cocktail lounge, uh, Belmont Tavern, that, that would also go quick. So yes, uh, the opportunities are endless. It's a cool idea by the brewers. I think there's a little bit more to it. I want to talk to Mitch about that tomorrow on Tabbing the Keg. We will talk about the first two games of the Bucks series. I'm sure Mitch will be in full panic. I will try my best to keep Mitch um, in even keels. Um, we'll also talk about the Brewers, as mentioned. Maybe a little Packers. Who knows um, if we'll get into the Packer topic uh, as well. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Tabbing the Keg to round us out on the weekend. And then a daily tap on Saturday, I think. I know I've been promising you. I will try my best. I'm not making promises just because I know I'll be going out for the game, which by the way, I should have mentioned this probably earlier. I'll try to mention it on Twitter a couple times uh, during the week. We're at Brad House Saturday, Friday night, 7.30. Probably not outside because I think it's going to rain all day. So we'll be upstairs. I think upstairs is basically 
the downstairs, the outside equivalent. I think that is where that's where we're gonna be, and we'll be holed up there. I saw Bucks win there in the past. It was a Bucks Celtics win, I think, in 2019. So we'll go back there, and that will be our spot. So we'll see you up there for Bucks Bulls on Friday night. All right, take care, Bucks fans. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Okay, you can't can't win them all. All right, see you. See you later. Bye.